Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Roziel and today my guest is Andrew Diamond, Manager of Sports Partnerships and Marketing at SiriusXM. But that is not all. This gentleman had stops at Octagon, MLB, Tops, FanDuel, Models, and Fox Sports in his illustrious career. Andrew is so much fun to get to talk to and really learn from and I think he is a great example of understanding where you are, understanding how to achieve what you're looking for and how how to go about it. He was fantastic. He actually opens up on some of the things that he did wrong, which I think is awesome. So other people can learn from that, but really what he did right as well. A lot of networking, a lot of learning, a lot of looking for opportunities, which I think is perfect. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Andrew Diamond. Today, we have special guest, Andrew Diamond. He's the manager of sports partnerships and marketing at SiriusXM with previous stops at Octagon, Major League Baseball, Tops, FanDuel, Models, and Fox Sports. Andrew, appreciate you hanging out with me today, man. Yeah, appreciate being here. Thanks for having me. It should be fun. I see a Mets hat in the background, so we're already best friends. Look at that. It's a good day to be alive. (laughs) Hopefully, baseball comes back, but until then... We keep, uh, we keep talking. We keep sharing stories. So the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast, Andrew, is why do you love sports so much? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I feel like there's always that nature versus nurture sort of deal. And mm-hmm. um, I almost feel like I was kind of born with it. Um, there's a story that my mother used to tell me all the time when I went to the park with her when I was like in a stroller. She would say I would not take my eyes off this soccer game uh, that would go on. Um, so I like to believe I had it in my blood from day one, but um, definitely had it fostered throughout my childhood. You know, my father took me to some pretty amazing sporting events. Um, you know, two that stick out to me are uh, Larry Johnson four-point play at Madison Square Garden. Wow. The other, yeah, that one was pretty, uh, pretty special. Be nice if we had another Knicks moment like that anytime soon. <laughs> um, but the other one that's uh, in a category of its own and um, almost resonates now more than ever is the first sporting event in New York after 9-11, which was the Mike Piazza game. So that one was incredible, too. So my, I'd already had quite a passion for sports leading up to those. But um, before that, you know, as far as I can remember, uh, there was a ball in my hand or a ball on TV I was watching. So That's incredible, man. The Mike Piazza one. I mean, every every year, you know, it 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 makes its rounds of course because it because of what it meant uh obviously for sports but i mean more importantly for new york city just in general i think yeah. you know, that being a big mets fan that one is very important to me as well that's pretty incredible you were at the game though like that must have yeah. just been i cannot i remember understand. like every detail of that night and can't say that about most games i've been to i was gonna say like the emotions of just being there and, and the crowd and the energy there just must have been incredible yeah it was definitely unlike anything i've, I've been to and so that, I mean, you were relatively young when that happened, right? You're, yeah, yeah, I was about old? 13. 13, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, just, just old enough, but just young enough, um, I think, kind of like that, that weird sweet spot. So, was, um, you know, as, as I said, kind of some of the places you've been at, Sirius, Octagon, MLB, uh, FanDuel, Models, Fox, Fox Sports, was working in sports kind of always the goal? It kind of sounds like it, at least. Yeah, I mean, I think the goal evolved over time. Um, 
as most people probably uh, realized at some point in their life, they weren't going to be a professional athlete. The goal changed uh, from one step to the next. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I, can, I tend to be a big dreamer sometimes, but uh, my dreams of going from being a professional athlete died when I was probably about 12. Uh, dreams of being a general manager for a baseball team. Um, I don't want to say they died, but they, you know, they became more realistic around the age of 16. Um, and then I started focusing more on um, just doing something, just something with an impact in sports and, um, you know, trying to find my way to what that would be through college. So I studied sport management at Syracuse University. And uh, one of the things they preached uh, most was that the best way or the, you know, the path with least resistance to get into sports was through sales. Um, so I kind of got my feet wet in that and uh, as much as I could Syracuse and uh, one thing led to the next and here I am in marketing. Here you are marketing. Yeah. Marketing partnerships. It's, it's pretty fun stuff. Um, I work with a little bit of partnerships as well. And it's actually funny. I am on, well, during business as usual, I also have a, it was funny. I have a radio show on Sirius. Um, and I think you run the partnership and marketing for the channel. So it's funny. Uh, you know, we never met, we never, never had that interaction until, uh, until we connected and I reached out, but, um, yeah. it's cool to know that, you know, they're a little bit closer than we expected, which is always cool. Yeah. And, um, I totally agree with you. You know, that's one thing, you know, I always like to focus on here is kind of how you get into sports because I get those questions all the time. I'm sure, especially with your extensive background, you get them all the time too. And it's, you know, if you can affect the bottom line in a positive way, someone's going to say yes to you at some point, right? So sales is always a great way to get in marketing, obviously, you know, just making sure you're bringing revenue dollars and income in to whatever entity you're working for or want to work for. Somebody's going to say yes at some point. So I guess after Syracuse, where, um, where was that first stop? Was that at Octagon, right? Yeah. So, um, I actually had to do this, um, caps, they call it a capstone internship for my Mm -hmm. senior year. It was a 12 credit deal. Um, and a lot of kids would do it during the school year, um, senior year and have to spend the semester away. And that was actually a little point of contention for me. I was enjoying myself at Syracuse and I really didn't want to do that. So I tried to finagle the system and find a way for me to do it, uh, for more reasons than one, uh, one being that I wanted to be at Syracuse, but two, I felt like if I could somehow line it up for the summer after, um, I was supposed to graduate, um, and what that would look like, that would be also positioning me well to come on to wherever that would be in a full-time position or in some type of position. Um, same could be said about second semester, senior year, but you know, second semester, senior year. This is the best. It's like yeah, the best so. four months of my life. Exactly. Dude, that was insane. So <laughs> I obviously was thinking short-term and long-term all at once, but um, I, I talked to an advisor and they told me there's a way you could kind of loophole the extra cost that it would be if you had to do that, you know, I'd have to pay an extra semester um, if you did the summer abroad thing. So what I was able to figure out was, um, or sorry, not summer abroad thing, but that does relate to this story. Um, I figured out a way to get ahead on my credits enough to the point where I'd be a part-time student, uh, for the entirety of my senior year to offset the costs. Uh, and the, I did that by, I partly did that by going abroad, um, for six weeks during the 2020 or sorry, 2010, World Cup in South Africa, which was an incredible experience. Wow. Itself. Um, and it actually ironically involved the one internship experience that had nothing to do with sports, but of course they had a sports angle by, you know, I remember going to the abroad office and being interested in going to Europe and my minor study was entrepreneurship. And they're like, oh, there's a six credit internship in South Africa. And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. But like, I don't know if I want to go there for like a whole summer or whatever. Like I was planning to go to Europe. I've never traveled there. And they're like, oh, it's 
you know, the, the World Cup's going on at the uh, exact six-week window that you're going to be there. And I was like, okay, sign me up. That is <laughs> awesome. Soccer buff, but, like, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I ended up um, – I actually got in a little bit of trouble on the trip because I, I didn't know about this mandatory trip that we had to do. And before that, I had already booked a uh, – a full one-day round trip to go to the U.S.-England game, which was a, a trek from where we were. Um, went through with it and don't regret it at all. It was, uh, it was a great experience. But, yeah, that kind of helped me do the um, capstone internship at Octagon. Sorry to go off course there a bit, but um, helped me do the capstone internship at Octagon uh, because I was within 12 credits of walking, which uh, they allowed you to walk in May if you were in that position. Um, so I technically didn't get my diploma until August, which was at the end of that capstone uh, internship with Octagon. And um, after that, Octagon brought me on in a uh, temporary account executive position uh, through the rest of the year. Um, but from that point, I ended up at Fox Sports uh, a few months mm-hmm. after that. That is awesome. Yeah, let's let's hop back to the World Cup a little bit. Um, that is That is such a... That is funny. I was like, I don't really know if I want to go there. Well, you know, there's some giant sporting <laughs> event that only happens once every four years. I mean, that is so cool. I am the same way. I'm not a soccer, like a soccer buff, but I will watch every match of the World Cup. I mean, it's the yeah. highest competition. Right? I will watch anything where the greatest athletes on planet Earth are doing something against each other, right? I don't care what it is. Um, now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Now I'll pretty much do anything. Watch last night. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Geez. Well, last night, um, a bunch of my friends and I, you know, we're recording this on a Sunday. Uh, so Saturday night, we all hopped on a, a Zoom call together and we watched the 2006 Boise State Oklahoma Fiesta Bowl with the uh, oh, that's the, the hook and ladder and the pick six with like 20 I seconds. I actually like, like, randomly insane. bought that game on iTunes just to have it as a, a highlight. Really go back it, to it's insane like game. Anyone out there looking for something to do? Just watch that. It's like three hours long, but it's worth every second, dude. It's I insane. watched that game live with someone who had never seen a football game before. That was wow, a football game they saw. And I was like, "This is not what it's supposed." Yeah, to be. this is not. You, you're you're starting on a real high with this one, but very yeah. well worth it. But no, I totally agree. And just like the opportunity to go see U.S. England World Cup game, like that must have been worth it. You know, whatever. Clearly, you got past whatever trouble you were gonna get into. So yeah. it, it is what it is. But <laughs> yeah. Um, then getting that role at Octagon, I mean, what was, so you kind of finagled the system, uh, loophole, your word, not mine, um, and, and how you got to where you got to, but how were you able to even get that internship? Because Octagon is a very, very coveted place, you know, yeah. coveted organization that a lot of people would love to work, work for. Yeah, um, honestly, I'm sure you've gotten this answer from a lot of people, but it's, it's really, a, networking is the biggest tool, um, and I, you know, I feel like a lot of the, the a big aid to me, I think, in, in retrospect, and I haven't really thought about this up until, you know, actually right before we were speaking, I was I was thinking about this was just the fact that I exposed myself to so many different, you know, competitive sports leagues growing up. And I went to a camp that was like very sports driven and um, played on a couple of travel teams. And what that does in the long run is if you keep in touch with those people, those people typically end up in sports. So um, I happened to know someone who was at Octagon full time. Uh, they were about four years my senior, uh, who went to my camp, and I, you know, got in touch with him, and he helped tee up uh, an interview with the hiring manager. And you know, I had spent my previous years all doing. You know, I did that South Africa experience the year before. I worked at uh, Steiner as an intern, Steiner Sports two years before that. And then I was able to do an internship with the Brooklyn Cyclones three years before that. So every summer I had shown a commitment and um, I also did a lot of on-campus stuff with the charity sports auction that we do through Syracuse University's sport management program. And, um, you know, showed that I was 
and you know, I'm ball beyond just the classroom. And I think that definitely helped my odds too. So a little bit of a, a little bit of B, but without the networking and the, uh, you know, getting the foot in the door, uh, probably wouldn't have happened. I think that is uh, it's a hundred percent. That's a very important part of it. Um, that's one thing. Unfortunately, I didn't figure that out till I was a little bit older, but you know, that's one thing that I always try and tell people is just, just go and just talk. Like there's enough yeah. networking events that you can go to places, just have conversations with people, ask them some questions and you know, you'll learn so much through that. Um, and I've only been doing it a couple of years now. It's been completely worth it. And so while you're at the Cyclones, where there, was there anyone of note that then made it to the, the, uh, the MLB on the Mets? <laughs> um, sort of, yeah. Uh, they actually, it was an exciting year because they had three first round picks. Um, oh, wow. I actually was still, I, I, I consider myself a big baseball person, but I was learning a little bit on the fly. Like I didn't realize until right before the internship that these were the guys that were coming out of college um, that were going to be there, which was exciting to me. I mean, I was a big, still am pretty big prospect prospect guy. And I do this like dynasty fantasy league with prospects and all that. Ooh, so like, jealous. I knew, <laughs> we might have a spot open Monday. Oh, um, but we, um, you know, I, I knew that the Mets drafted Brad Holt, uh, Ike Davis, and Reese Havens, and I was high on all three. And they all, all three of them looked pretty good, especially Brad Holt had like a one-something ERA all, all summer. They also had Henry Mejia, if you remember him. Yep, yep, um, uh-huh. And I'm trying to remember if they had any other big league, uh, eventual big leaguers, although Reese and Brad never made it, but Ike, Ike Davis mm-hmm. obviously did. Um but yeah, kind of a disappointing in, in long run. Like, no, I, was, I was expecting Ike to be like, you know, the first first base version of David Wright someday or something like that. But uh, not quite. But not quite. Still pretty cool to see those guys from young age. And I'm sure without me even knowing in retrospect, I'm sure we had plenty of other guys who are big time now and other teams roll through. Um, but yeah, definitely cool to look back on that and, um, you know, see those names. That, yeah didn't really pan out but you know it's still yeah it's still cool i mean i was at a game where ike davis had a walk-off grand slam like i was at it was yeah. like in this like the cincinnati yeah, reds i think tremendous seasons but yeah it was it was awesome so it was pretty yeah. cool and i mean spoken like a true mets fan i mean what else do we have other than hope right like yeah. i know all the prospects too man because you never know maybe in a couple of years it'll all work out yeah. um but until then uh so you know, you went from Octagon, you got a job with Fox Sports. Again, I'm assuming there's a lot of networking involved there. I'm assuming there's a lot of, you know, hey, look what I've done. Obviously, you've amassed. You've, you've stopped at a lot of these places. I mean, what, what, what is it about each of these companies that attracted you? Or was it, was it the people there? Was it the opportunity? Because, again, you kind of you, you hopped along a little bit, and you've been to so many different places. Again, MLB, FanDuel, Models, Fox Sports, Octagon. Like, these are household names within the sports industry like your your resume is pretty stacked i hope you know that thanks uh i appreciate that <laughs> um yeah it's it's been it's been quite a journey um i have to say and i think most of almost all of these have had to do with some type of connection uh there have been honestly the only one that that was a blind application was uh fanduel actually mm-hmm. uh, i can take you through each one so uh when i was at octagon was living out in Stanford. Um, I think if I have any, I don't want to say I have a regret because I'm, I'm happy with where I am right now, but I think if I'm being honest with myself back at Octagon, um, I think I could have given more of that job and mm-hmm. parting was, uh, I think it was really from, came from me, but it was a, a foolish move at the time, to be honest. I just wanted to be back in New York city mm-hmm. um, and I was living in Connecticut. Uh, I don't think I really understood the gravity of the opportunity I had at hand, <clears throat> I didn't do anything wrong, but I do think that in retrospect, you know, um, being a 31 year old now and looking back at 22 year old myself, um, 
I think that I probably could have given more to that position and, and staked more of a claim to it. And I, I probably should have, I think it would have been better for my, uh, like probably long-term career, but especially in the few years ahead of that. Um, but <clears throat> I was in a position to be like, you know, sort of doing what I'm doing now. Um, but in a more senior way, I was obviously at the, at the ground level and, um, basically got to a point where it was like a month left in my term. And I sort of like naively opened up to my boss about how I wanted to be back in New York city. And like, you know, it didn't show the type of desire I, I should have. Mm-hmm. So that ended up, uh, just, you know, fizzling out. Um, I, you know, just didn't extend my term. And then I was out of work for about three weeks, but ended up at Fox sports doing ad sales assistant work. Um, which I was, you know, I thought it'd be a good opportunity for me. Uh, my, my college roommate worked there. So that was why mm-hmm. I had the connection and they had a position that opened up, but my, my college roommate was doing was one of the three marketing positions at this sales. It was Fox sports is like, ad sales rep firm basically, but you know, still part of Fox sports technically called home team sports. Uh, we basically would, um, sell all the ad sale inventory for NHL, MLB and NBA games plus programming around the clock. Um, so I was in a position where I was just, um, I'd almost liken it to being air traffic control for the sales team, you know, mm-hmm. not really, not really getting to go out there and pitch or do any of like the, stuff you think about when you're in sales, but really just doing all the stewarding of, of making sure every sale was in its right home and it's right ad spot, um, checking in on the ratings, making sure we were delivering guaranteed rating points that were, you know, told to the client. And, uh, most of the client experience I had was just via email and via call. Not, you know, maybe I was involved in like two or three lunches throughout my tenure there. Um, but my friend was in a marketing position there, um, which was something that i kind of felt more passionate about going towards at that point. You know, I felt like I had, I was a big idea thinker and felt like I could contribute more value in that position. Um, So another naive move I made, which I recommend not making to other young people is uh, when you get a job, you keep your head down and you do that job and you prove your worth. And then you go and if you want another position, you know, make your case then. Mm -hmm. Uh, What happened with me was, um, just purely the timing of it. I got this position. I knew in the first two weeks that I, it wasn't for me. I, it, mm-hmm. it was just like, but I, you know, I was still committed to doing it. I was going to do it for a year, but then the position next to my friend opened up and it was like basically the same job he had. It was what I wanted to do. And I was like, what do I do? What do I do? And he being basically a, a one year old me gave me the same sort of, um, same sort of like advice that I had in mind, which was to go to his boss and ask about it just casually. Like, you know, like this is what I'm interested in. You know, I don't know if it's appropriate, but so I did that. I went to his office and I was like, look, I don't really know if this is what I should be doing. Like I've only been here for two weeks, but I will say that if these two jobs were open three weeks ago, I would have applied to this one. Um, and that's not to say that I want to do anything about it, but like, you know, man to man, like it'd be great if you could give me like a fake assignment or something. And if I, if I kill it, um, maybe it's worth having a discussion. If not, it'd be awesome. If we could pretend this conversation never happened sort of thing, <laughs> which was really naive of me. Uh-huh. Uh, and of course, two weeks later, uh, or uh, two weeks, like 10 minutes later, I get a phone call from my boss's boss pulling me in and basically scolding me for the conversation. Yeah. Um, but long-term, uh, <clears throat> you know, put in a lot of hard work in that position. I feel like, you know, it, it had its ups, it had its downs. Like, the only problem I had with that role was like, you were doing a good job if you weren't 
you know, you didn't hear from anybody. It was like you, you were doing mm-hmm. a good job. Yeah. But you had the potential to lose company money if you placed the ad in the wrong time slot. So like mm-hmm. the funny thing was, well, not so funny at the time, but six months into that job, I was like, oh, things are going great. Like I haven't heard anything. And my coworkers like, yeah, you're not going to hear about a credit until like six months after the fact. So from that point forward, I was getting like coming in the office every day. And like one day I'd be like, oh, 2000 down the tubes because of a mistake I made in my first week. And that was like, Ooh. yeah. So it was like <clears throat> snowball effect. And it wasn't like crazy. Like, I mean, other people made these mistakes. They were just like, you know, it was like almost like learning the system. And, um, you know, long story short, I'm happy I had that job because it really trained me in two realms that I felt like maybe I didn't know at the time I needed, but I did, I did need one was just organizational skills. I mean, that job, you weren't succeeding in that job unless you were organized Two Mm -hmm. is just attention to detail. Um, So since, since that job, I feel like I've kind of been like in a hawk about those things and it's helped me in the long run big time. But um, long story short with that position, uh, I was ended up staying in there for about a year, but really wanted to pursue something that, you know, challenged the other half of my brain, uh, you know, be it journalism or marketing. Um, and I found myself at MLB.com doing a part-time video work um, and leaving that job behind. I just felt like, well, on one hand, it was a bit of a step back in terms of like, you know, it wasn't a full-time position. I felt like I was young enough. Uh, I was still 24 at the time, just take a step back to hopefully move forward in my life uh, or career. And I felt like it did. Um, spent the whole 2013 baseball season there. It was an interesting experience. I mean, I think in some ways, um, you know, a lot of experiences you go through early on in your career, be it internship or entry level, it's just as important to find out what you do want to do and what you don't want to do. And I love my time at MLB.com, but um, I learned that that was probably not the field for me. And I was working mm-hmm. um, nights and weekends, uh, doing graveyard shifts here and there. And, um, you know, still a young guy. And, living in the city and it was weird like sometimes I get off my shift at like two o'clock or one o'clock in the morning and then meet my friends out because like we were you know it's kind of convenient being in Chelsea which is where the office was um there was like a cool bar actually in the lobby and I remember meeting some friends there and they were just ending their night and I was like great now you're like ready to go and (laughs) everybody's going home so uh, you know it's 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 in sports sometimes you really have to like you know and not just sports but other industries like how much does your social life really matter to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what type of work-life balance do you need to be happy? And um, ultimately, I felt like that kind of caught up with me. Uh, I stayed at MLB up until it was actually in a very interesting timing. Um, I was there until October that year, and they were talking about bringing MLB or bringing instant replay to MLB, and they had passed the rule, so they needed a team to do uh, the replay officiating um like just like teeing up the video for the umpires so i actually was brought onto that team i was getting trained to do that job and then my first day on training i got my full turn full-time uh, offer at tops to go be a sports editor there work on wow. their baseball card products um and i took that opportunity but i uh, stayed in touch with some of the guys who did the replay job and um i found out it was quite the stressful experience as you could imagine oh, goodness yeah um, i could so, not um i don't know especially if- because everyone's always wrong too, right? Like there's no, 
there's no positives in that job. And it's always like, you know, you know, us being Mets fans, you always hear Gary and Keith and Ron's like, well, they don't have the same angles we have. It's like, how do they not have the same angles? Like it makes yeah, no they, sense. And we're all just yelling at you guys. We don't know I who know. you are. You're just, you're just people behind a camera, right. Uh, in a, in a yeah. room. And we hate all of you every second of the time. <laughs> so I do want to, uh, I do want to touch upon a point you said, you know, with, uh, especially with MLB, you know, working nights and weekends, like, so many people want to work in sports in some capacity and it's because of the emotion. It's because you love your team. It's because you love this sport, but I love football, but I want to sit on my couch, drink beer and eat chicken wings on Sunday. I do not (laughs) want to be like, and that's, it's okay. Like there are obviously you found many, many opportunities that don't include working game days or working game time, but people, you know, that's something that a lot of people especially you know college kids having like these wacky schedules already you know you're going to sleep at three in the morning waking up at 11 like that's not how the world really works man like you have to remember that and then (laughs) you know sometimes it does though weirdly enough like you you know and that work-life balance and that social uh you know your social life how much it matters to you is very important and it's okay to want a social life but if you do want to work in baseball as you you know in any really capacity if you're working for a team 162 like you're pretty much working every home game you're working you have to do something in some capacity i know a lot of people that sound like they have incredible jobs and then they're just like yeah but i missed like my brother's wedding it's just like oh yeah that's a good point i guess yeah yeah and that's like something i learned also when i went to you know i i was i thought i wanted to work for a team uh, and then i worked for the cyclones and i was like i will never do that again um i just you know i can't work for a team unless it's like in the front office and that's mm-hmm. not going to happen unless I work for a team and like yeah. spend my time and like, you know, you know, do, do my time and all that. But exactly. Um, like you want to be a GM. That means you have to rise yeah, all the no, way to GM. It that, doesn't yeah. take, you know, that takes 15, <laughs> yeah, 20 takes years. A lot, of, yeah. a lot of 24 hour days and in, in small town America um, to get there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, but it's what I'd have to say to young kids that really feel driven to do something is like try to get an internship that's related to that field and see what it is. Um, you know, that's what you're, that's part of what your four years of college are for, especially if you want to do sports, like, you know, get an intern and try to get an internship that's related to exactly the type of job you want to confirm whether that's really what you mm-hmm. want to do. Um, 100%. So 100%. Awesome. So then you you got uh, so you accepted your job at tops, thankfully, instead of uh, taking that full time position with the MLB doing the <laughs> replay review, thankfully. Yeah. Um, it's gotten better over the years, we can be honest about that. But yeah, I'm yeah. sure that first year was just bananas. So I'm really glad yeah. you didn't have to go through that. Um, yeah. So you spent you spent a lot of time at tops, it seems like it was like your longest uh, stop. So you said you were yeah. doing, you know, working with their baseball card division, correct? Correct. Yeah. So my first job there was, um, I feel like somewhat of a a dream job for a little kid who's a big card collector. Like, uh, I wasn't a huge card collector, but I was, you know, I feel like there are two types of people in that job. One that was either like big time sports fan or big time, you know, card nerd. Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, if you're the card nerd side, you're in the middle, like you're both Mm -hmm. most of the time. But I was, you know, I knew a little bit about cards. I collected and never seriously, I didn't know like what parallels meant. I didn't know like what all these terms meant. Um, But that was an easy thing to learn on the fly. But um, I specifically worked on mostly minor league baseball products. Uh, As I said, I was very into prospects. So this helped me learn more about prospects as well. It was kind of a nice dual um, work between running that fantasy league of mine and, and doing my work all in once. Um, but um, yeah, so it involved a lot of diff- a couple of different responsibilities. One, uh, I worked with our, like an associate brand manager of the products. Um, you know, I had like maybe eight to 10 products working that I worked on um, throughout my first year. 
Um, and he, I basically just get a subject list of names that would go with each subset within the product. And then it would be on me to basically fetch a photo, crop it in this program. Um, that would be the way the card would come out looking. Uh, I'd work with the content uh, team, which is basically just a bunch of freelance writers on the template of what we would want on the back. And then they would have to supply all these write-ups. Um, I'd work with, um, I'd work with the QA team on making sure everything was accurate name, you know, all the vitals on the back, all the, you know, the copy and all that, uh, and then push it out the door. And that was basically the, the main responsibility I had was just quality of product. Um, but in addition to that, there was some, you know, when there was downtime, uh, between projects, I'd pitch in with like, uh, social media marketing, um, you know, I'd be uh, an extra hand on site, um, at events and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great experience that first year. Um, and I was able to earn a promotion, really the first promotion of my career to that point, uh, in, you know, in terms of being in a company and moving up, um, went from a sports editor position to the uh, associate brand manager position on our football business, um, which was very, honestly, that, that year was probably the most enjoyable year in my career, uh, just in terms of what I got to do. Um, there were two events that stick out uh, among the rest, but one in particular that was really the culmination of that position. Um, so in that role, um, you know, I'd be assigning the subject list names to the editor on the team, and what that would involve would be not just picking the best, you know, the most fitting players for each subset, but also budgeting out the autographs and the, all the memorabilia that went into each product. So uh, that would start at the ground level with our licensing team. Um, and predominantly my responsibility was for the 2015 rookie class, which had like James Winston, Mariota. So, uh, and Gurley and, you know, Cooper, all those guys. So I worked hand in hand with our licensing team to, negotiate contracts with those players agents for uh you know memorabilia deals with tops and then it would be on me to basically get through all of those deals uh and kind of maximize them the best we could so the culmination of that event was uh two weeks after the nfl draft we went out to la to do this event called the uh nfl pa rookie premiere where we and Panini, who was also the football licensor at the time. And I also knew going into this, this was the last year the Tops was going to have football. Uh, Panini had won the license mm. back uh, or won the license to be the exclusive moving forward. Uh, so this is the last year we were going to be at that event. Um, and we invited 40 mostly offensive skill position guys. Uh, we, the only defensive guy we invited was Leonard Williams. Uh, mm -hmm. He was just like the number one guy at the time. Yeah. Um, so I ended up doing a whole bunch of stuff with those guys. Um, the first thing we did was <clears throat> we set up a room um, where each of them got a, you know, designated amount of base cards with an autograph field for them to sign their names and those would go into the product. So it was interesting because those were all based on the budget, which I had helped establish. So a guy like Bryce Petty, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say what his deal was, but he was making like, much less per autograph than James Winston. And yeah. it was like a pretty big difference in ratio. Let's just say that Petty was there with 5,000 cards to sign and Winston had about maybe like 500 to sign. Mm -hmm. um, so I got to know Bryce Petty pretty well <laughs> because of that. <laughs> uh, Are you a Jets Dan fan or a Giants fan? I'm a Giants fan. So there was okay. actually no Giant there that year, which is a little disappointing. Yeah, with um, Eric Flowers, I think that year, right? Yeah. Although I guess Leonard Williams is now a Giant. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, so I got to hang out, like, just, like, 
be next to the guys while they did their autographs, just talk a little bit with them. And I actually helped establish a, a podcast for us, which I was not the host of. It was someone else at the company, but uh, I was able to get some audio clips of uh, Devin Funches, Devin Smith um, that we ended up putting on our, podca- our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next day after that, or that night, we ended up doing like a bowling party with all of them, which is pretty cool. Like it was also a little surreal to think these guys were five years younger than me. And like, you know, I'm like mm-hmm. kind of almost looking up to them in a way. And I'm like, this is a little weird. This like it weird. was almost like the end of my, like, it was a good experience for me because like in, when you get into sports, you can't be like a fanboy type. Mm-hmm. You, know, you gotta like, rain it in and I felt like that kind of helped give me experience in that regard and you know give me a little perspective that these guys are five years younger than me like they're just mm-hmm. kids like so but still obviously in awe and, and and the next day we went to the Coliseum to do photography shots like action shots with them in their full uniforms uh, for the first time because we needed that for our cards and mm-hmm. uh, for other products so um, I was literally catching passes from Janus in the end zone uh, throwing balls to you know, some of the receivers like Aguilar and Doriel Green Beckham. And um, it was it was just a pretty wild experience just to be on the field playing fake football with these guys who are mm-hmm. about to potentially go on the Hall of Fame careers. Um, so that was that was an incredible experience. But uh, I also knew in the back of my head that football was going away. And um, I kind of had my eye on what, what I could do next to Tops or elsewhere because who knew what, what the fate was going to be with our football license and going our license going away. So uh, as it happened a few months after that, um, the guy who had originally hired me into the sports editor role and moved over to e-com in the company, uh, he was the director of e- e-commerce and uh, someone from their, their team had left. Um, and he came over to me one day and said, hey, Andrew, like, um, really looking for someone who can come up with some great new product ideas in this role. I think you could be the guy. I don't know if you have these skills, but take a look at the job description and let me know. So I look it over and I see all these like, you know, I have to do email marketing and I have to do like website work. And I'm like, I have no idea how to do any of that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, are you sure you want me to do this? He's like, yeah, like, I, you could, you could learn that on the fly. Like he's like brushing it off. Like it's nothing. And I'm like, and I also know for a fact that he doesn't have that background either. Like he's kind of a little bit new to this. So I'm like, not really sure exactly if, mm-hmm. he's right or wrong, but at the same time, like that's a unique opportunity. Like uh, I could, like I wouldn't have this opportunity if I was applying as a stranger or from yeah. the outside. And like, as much as I didn't feel comfortable doing it, like I originally even told them, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I, I think I should, you should open it up to someone else. But the next day I thought about it, I came back and I was like, you know what? I changed my mind. Like, I really don't want to go for this. Like, and I knew it was going to be like this. It was kind of like, it was, it was a bit of a risk. Like, you know, there was the risk that I wouldn't pick up these skills and then I mm-hmm. they wouldn't like it and be like, or be, un, be unsuccessful. Like who knows? But I figured I was like in my mid twenties at the time, I'd been a tops for two years. Was I going to be a tops for the rest of my career? Probably not. Was I learning stuff in this position that I had currently that would, you know, was I going to continue learning stuff in this position that I had uh, currently going to help me uh, long-term or like, what the way I felt about it was like, I've, I learned enough in this role for one year to help if I were to leave tops, but everything I was learning from that point forward was really tops related, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and tops a unique business. It's not, you know, it's like kind of like a, a one of a kind. There aren't that many other, there's like maybe one or two other tops, mm-hmm. not in yeah. New York. So at that point I said, I got to do what's best for my long-term future and do this job because it's going to position me for long-term way better, even if it's not what I like. Um, but I ended up doing it. Um, there was definitely some parts of it that 
I wasn't passionate about, but it was an incredibly valuable experience because it was probably unlike anything I could have had in the sense that it was such a small team. Uh, we had, they cut the e-commerce team down basically from 12 to three because they had some struggles with their like business model and they were reshaping everything. And part of what he wanted to do was to think of new ideas, which is, I guess, where he came, you know, had, had me in mind. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a great, great decision to do that. Um, but it didn't, it didn't come without growing pains for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that that next year is, I'm happy to focus on that more with you right now, because that was probably, uh, the most impactful year of my career for sure. Um, I ended up taking the so, role. So wait, I just want to, I just want to pause for a second. So you had that one year with the football, uh, aspect of it where you're doing a lot of stuff directly with the athletes. And as you said, that was probably your most enjoyable year. Mm-hmm. And then, as you said, like everything moving forward, you know, you learned pretty much, I mean, I'm sure there was still some things you could learn, but at the same time, mostly everything you were learning moving forward was tops related. So you mm-hmm. wanted to make sure again, for everyone listening, learning, networking, these are two things that you have very clearly made a part of your career. You know, you networked to get, to get the job at tops and then to get a different job within tops, you went back to that same guy. And it's, it's just cool. Have you been able to build these relationships with people that not aren't just last like very short term. They're very clearly something that lasts. And and again, you're you're always focused on moving forward and making sure that you're adding to what you're doing. And I think that that's really cool. A lot of people would have said in that position, wait a second. And and understanding again, the circumstances are weird because you were lo- tops was losing that part of the football, uh, the football division. But that's got to be the coolest job. Like that has to have been yeah. so cool. If every year, I mean, I'm sure you could have done something similar with a different sport like baseball or yeah. something. You could have no, brought. And it would have been, baseball, yeah. and it would have been so cool. But even though you realize, like, all right, like this would have been cool, but I should probably yeah. learn some new skills while I'm here if I have that opportunity. And yeah, I mean, email marketing, digital marketing, some of that stuff is really interesting, but it's not as interesting as catching passes from Jameis Winston and Marcus <laughs> Mariota and throwing passes to Amari Cooper and and handing the ball off to Ty Gurley. Like, that's insane, dude. Like, yeah. I just want to make sure was, that is put into context. That's insane. It was. It felt like I was walking away from a lot, um, right? But. And there were moments, I'm not going to lie, where, like, I wasn't getting to go on these event trips anymore and, like, keep my mm-hmm. head down doing yep. this hard work that um, I now signed myself up for. But it was – it did pay off, I think, in the long run. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but it was it was an interesting journey. So, um, basically, I ended up accepting that job. I had to interview for it and all that. It wasn't just handed to me or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to go through that whole process. But ended up working out. Um, I got onto that team about – in October of 20, I think 15. So it was before the 2016 baseball season. And um, sorry, wait, I'm trying to remember now. I think it was the 20, whatever, whatever the year the Cubs won the world series was, was 16 year. Okay. 2016. So, yeah. So I moved on the team at the end of 2015. I had a few months to learn all the systems. Um, you know, I, I was doing everything from, are running our entire tops.com e-commerce site. Like I had to make sure all the prices were right for every product we had on there. All the content was accurate. All the, you know, writing up all the description product descriptions and titles was on me and every, everything in terms of accuracy of the site was under my um, purview. I had to do all the email marketing, all the affiliate marketing and all of the, I worked, you know, cross-functionally with our social team on like, you know, which products to feature that week. And, um, and that was all before coming up with like products, like, you know, new product ideas. So, uh, in retrospect, if someone had told me about all those 
different roles and responsibilities, I'd be like, that's like five jobs in one. But like, uh, on the plus side, like I was too naive to realize that. So I just, you know, was, was doing it. Uh, but yeah, it was, it's funny to look back on that. Um, but that was just sort of the team we had in place at the time was a young scrappy group. And like, what I liked about it was that it had this like entrepreneurial feel inside of an established brand. So you kind of had like, you know, more risk to play with, you know, it wasn't like we were like, you know, need to hit this amount of revenue mm-hmm. this week or we're going under. Um, we had some flexibility and a little bit of a runway just cause we were, you know, funded by an established brand. Um, so what we wanted to do that year was to, you know, and my original goal walking into tops and what intrigued me about tops was like baseball cards weren't what they were, uh, you know, in the eighties or nineties at that point, um, you know, what could I do to revolutionize this business? You know, I feel like there's an opportunity here and before I leave, it'd be great if I could do something that did that. And it turned out that in this position, I, I got the opportunity to do just that. Uh, we came up with this concept and it was really brought to us by our, um, the president of our group or the direct, like, I guess VP of our group. Um, he had been at some, card collecting events. And I guess some collectors had this desire to build some type of online program where, you know, cards would live. And it was, it was a very loose idea, but the idea that we landed on was to do a daily uh, card of the day sort of thing in baseball. Mm-hmm. And it would it ended up being branded tops now. Um, so what that was, was we would take the best moments of action from last night's game. It wouldn't just be one. It could be anywhere from one to seven um, or more, depending on the night. Uh, rare occasion, we'd have zero cards. But um, we basically have a text thread between myself, uh, the art director on our team, um, another person from our social team, my boss, and then the VP. And we would basically all just decide which moments were going to be cards the next day. And so um, the next morning, the process basically involved – me writing up the copy for the card front and the card back. Um, my art director would pick the image, mock up the card itself with my copy included. Then we would send it off to MLB for approval first thing in the morning, like maybe 10, 1030 in the morning, and then uh, get their feedback. And, you know, they were supposed to give us feedback by 1, 1 p.m. And then, um, or earlier. And as soon as we got the uh, approval, we launched that card on a new web page that we, new landing page we built on our website. And, people could have 24 hours to purchase that card. And then once 24 hours went, it was never sold again from tops. Uh, you can only buy it on eBay if you really wanted. Um, and there were a few things that really worked out with that, like uh, formula we built first, it completely improved our margins. We had no waste on shelf because we weren't going to print until we knew the exact amount, mm-hmm. you know, a traditional tops products, we would have to estimate with the, you know, with, with stores, how much would sell. And then uh, there would always be waste on shelf. And we always had to factor that into the budget. So our, our margins like almost doubled because of that by itself. Um, so that was one thing too. Just the ecosystem we created was, was great for the collectors. Like they would always, you know, we had not a, not a ex- such an expansive group, but we had a real passionate group that eventually followed mm-hmm. us and they would start, they even started a forum uh, to like analyze our work on the fly, which is always interesting mm-hmm. to read on a daily basis. Um, you know, they'd always predict, Oh, which cards are going to get picked today. Oh, uh, that's fun. That. Like it also even predict the print runs, which was the, the po- we'd post like, uh, so like my job in addition to the writing, the copy, it was like, you know, I'd post it on the website with the clock. Um, and then once the cards, you know, once that happened, I would blast out an email, uh, you know, email marketing campaign about which cards were there today. Um, 
et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually when the 24 hour clocks uh, hit zero, I would then run a tally of every single print run for each card, meaning how many were sold, Mm -hmm. post that in the archive. And then people would know, you know, oh, wow, only one of 200 people who bought this card. Um, You know, that was like kind of on the lower end of of the sales we would get would be like in the one or two hundreds. So those people would then probably make a profit on eBay by selling like if they, you could buy the card, either one, five, 10 or 20 versions of it. And we gave price breaks for each, you know, denomination. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of people would buy 20 and then maybe keep one and sell the rest online and make money in the long run. Um, So it was a pretty good uh, system we created and uh, we ended up blowing it out to every other uh, license we had we did it for wwe we did it even for garbage pail kids around the election um we did it with uh what else did we do uh it was ufc uh mls epl uh we didn't have football but then panini took our concept and called it panini huh. uh, instant which was huh. you know um well, what's it called Im- imitation is always the i was the just about to say pattern. that yeah. yep imitation <laughs> yep a hundred i was literally just gonna say that a nice pat on the back when that happened um so yeah, how many i gotta i gotta ask how many did the bartolo cologne one get oh so that was it's funny you mentioned that that was the coming out party for the whole concept i remember i was actually in a broadway play on mother's day with my family and my phone was just blowing up the whole time about how crazy this was because yep. mlb.com picked it up and then we ended up getting like uh I want to say like 8,000 sales or wow. something. Wow, that's one day, awesome. Which, yeah, so when that happened, that I mean, we were like, I wouldn't say we were puttering along. It was like a month and a half, and we were mm. like feeling good about it, but we, not enough people knew about it, we felt, and that was really the coming out part of the concept for us. Like from that point forward, it was just like all eyes are on us. Like we're like kind of like darling of the company for a little bit. It was, it was an exhilarating time, and like uh, it, it – help launch our program forward basically that was where we really started like building it out to the other um the other licenses we had mm-hmm. too yeah i thought well, i remember when that happened i, I mean being a mets fan yeah. i was probably while i was watching the game it was in san diego i think he hit it off james yep. shields if i'm not mistaken yep. and um I then remember seeing like the next day on Twitter or, or Instagram or whatever, like that's the first time I heard about this concept as well. Um, right. So I think, yeah, something, something as crazy as this pitcher who's way too big to be playing sports uh, yeah. who hits a home run is it's just such a funny thing. He's a Met, obviously it helps that he was in New York market, but I think that that is like such a cool way to kind of have that all. Cause I remember the picture too, like his, his helmet's like almost falling off. Cause it always <laughs> did. Like it's just the whole thing is just yeah. such an awesome concept. And then hearing about it from that, um, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad it worked out really well for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was quite the moment for sure. Um, I didn't get to watch it live. I remember I was at my friend's engagement party and I was just like flipping out. I was like, I couldn't believe it. And then, Shortly thereafter, I realized, wow, this could actually do something for our uh, little Tops Now idea. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. That yeah. is awesome. So how how long, how much longer were you at Tops for after, yeah, so uh, I, like, with this program? So that was a, it was interesting uh, experience for sure. We ended up doing it on weekends too, uh, of course, like, you know, that, and that was like, that was an interesting uh, transition for us um, because, I mean, truth be told there was we were under the assumption we were gonna have the same working hours on weekends and i was okay with that where we would just like do it from 10 30 was the deadline to submit for mlb and then 2 p.m we get the response back but or 1 p.m we get the response back but on the weekend i guess they 
they want a little more flexibility on their end. So we had to submit by 9 a.m. and then get back to that day to get back to us by 2 p.m. So eventually that sort of caught up with me a little yeah. bit. Um, you know, I was doing seven days a week and, uh, you know, not, not getting paid for those extra days, which is, you know, it is what it is, but it's part of being a, on a team and, you know, a small team and trying to establish ourselves. So we're willing to bite the bullet there for a while and, um, you know, did – did the seven day a week thing through the whole baseball season and we got through it. And of course the Cubs, I mean, the timing for this program for the company couldn't have been better. Of course. I mean, the Cubs won the world series in, in epic fashion in seven games. I mm-hmm. mean, we were making, we ended up taking the concept for me being a $3 million year one to 5 million just because of that. Um, and the, and the website itself the year before uh, in 2014 produced as a whole, a little over 2 million. So, that that one idea itself made more mm-hmm. than the entire website did the year before, which is a pretty awesome thing to be a part of. And of course, one of the first things I go to in an interview yep. <laughs> uh, yep. for jobs. So, I mean, uh, it's definitely been the most successful project I've been a part of. Um, and it was, yeah, just like looking back on it, there was, we ended up producing like 660 cards for the whole baseball season. Um, 90% of those were written by me, which is like pretty awesome to have those now and just go look back on them. And um yeah, it's like I was there. I ended up being there until – so I started the next baseball season. But, um, you know, so the, the the main motivation I had to leave Tops at that point was, like, I always wanted to create this Tops Now sort of idea. Like, I I wanted to do something to revolutionary, revolutionize the sports card industry, and I felt like I'd done that. Um, so I had that kind of sense of accomplishment enough where I could, you know, at least take a look elsewhere – um, but more than that, I also just knew that there was never going to be another one of those, you know, yeah. Yeah, this was it. This was like my baby now. And my job was no longer to like grow the business. It was to just maintain the business. So um, not to say it was a blunt maintenance job, so to speak. It was obviously exciting and like had its quirks and every day was going to be different than the next, but um, it was a lot to juggle. I mean, like, again, I was in this role as someone with none of those skills, I was self-taught slash taught by my art director who was doing it on an interim basis before I came on. And like, I, the, the, the part that was like, I was like kicking myself in the last week of the baseball season, I stumbled upon this like shortcut that would have like saved me hours of time all year. And like, there was like, on one hand, I'm like, Oh, this will position me well for next year. But on the other hand, I'm like, you know what? Like, this has gotten a little frustrating to the point where like, I'm, I'm probably wasting so much time that I don't even know about. And like, there's no one here to like, teach me. And in retrospect, like I've done things since then where I've, I took a digital marketing course through general assembly. I should have taken a course. I mean, I should have really like learned those skills from a professional. Um, you know, maybe part of that was on the company, not having someone there like that or, or suggesting it, but you know, you can't always, one thing I've learned for sure. And I think I learned most in that role in itself. I mean, there was some tension sometimes between, um, my manager and me just because I, I felt like I was so, uh, I wasn't positioned to fail. Like I wasn't, I was, but I was positioned to like make some mistakes there. Um, and not to say that any mistakes were like, they were like some minor mistakes. Like maybe like, you know, put the wrong number of cards up for the day just cause mm-hmm. I'm juggling, you know, five different jobs at once. Um, but one, regardless of, of the fact that it might've not felt like my fault, um, you got to take responsibility. Like mm-hmm. when you sign up for something like, if you want to deflect blame, like, or if your instinct is to deflect blame, like you got like to young people out there, you got to cut that out. Like yeah. you got your instinct should always be like, stick your chest out unless it's, unless it's really not your fault. Like, I mean, 
but there was no one else really around to point the finger in these situations with me. And like, I mean, that was partly why I was in those positions, but I signed up for that. You know, that was what I signed up for. And like, um, ultimately like that wasn't what forced me to leave. I think that might've had a, a bit, a bit of it bit to do with it. it was just like the fact that we weren't adding new bodies on the team after the successful year kind of stuck out to me. Like, I think that if the company had done a few different things, I would have wanted to stay longer, but um, ultimately for myself, it would have been best in the long run either way uh, to keep growing and finding new opportunities to like, you know, uh, spark these new ideas. And I just didn't feel like at that time um, there was ever going to be another tops. Now it was just like, this is it. This is my job. Now this is like for the foreseeable future that I'm here, I'm going to be doing this exact thing every day. Um, so I, again, like always thinking kind of like long-term and what I can do the best position, my, you know, my own growth, I, I looked elsewhere and I, I applied to probably, you know, no shortage of jobs blindly. And as I said before, FanDuel was the one job that I was able to drum up blindly. And I, I'm sure it had a lot to do with the success story that I just told you with tops now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up getting an interview and was able to, I guess, do well enough to get this product marketing specialist role working on uh, FanDuel products. And this was about a month before we were supposed to officially have the merger ruled upon uh, between DraftKings and FanDuel. But um, I was on the impression I didn't really know what went into that ruling. I didn't know it fell on the government and all that. Um, I was already under the impression it was like a done deal. And unfortunately, a lot of people at FanDuel were under that impression too. Uh, at least that was the way they were operating the, base, the, operating the business. Um, so I got there a month before the DraftKings and FanDuel merger fell apart. Um, and my whole seven months there was a bit of a whirlwind, but not a bad experience either. I mean, that, that was, I think that that experience, um, it really, it, it wasn't an agency, but it, it almost operated like one. It had a very like agency like set up there. Um, so I think that that was new for me, at least in the time from when I was at Octagon to there. Um, and I was in more, not really an entry entry level position. So I felt like that role really, uh, was a great supplement for me in the long run, even though it was short lived. Mm -hmm. And you were there. Um, so you were there during that. I honestly didn't realize, like I always just was under the assumption that, yeah, I was going to go through too. And then when it didn't, everyone was just kind of like, Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I assume if everyone there, was under that assumption too i don't feel too bad about it but so you're there for if you were there for a few months and so you got there and all that craziness was going on and by the time you left if i'm not mistaken password just got overturned correct so i'm not even sure honestly um i think th- do you know when that was exactly i feel like it was like may of 2018 i'm pretty confident in so that. then it was bef- it was after yeah i remember that happening after i i was there from uh what was it may or yeah, May of 2017 or maybe April of 2017. And I was only there until January of 2018. Uh, okay. I just got caught up in there. They had a new, so they had a very small wave of layoffs uh, right after the merger, which affected the partnerships group. Um, and my position was also new. It was newly created. So I was like, uh, wasn't the, was this thing newly created just to prepare for the merger and am I yeah. in danger sort of thing. And ultimately that's kind of what happened. Um, I mean, I, they had a new CEO step in, um, in mid November, um, you know, the old CEO stepped down, but you know, I think there was more to it than that. Um, and one of the first things that the new CEO did was just kind of reorg and Mm -hmm. caught up in that, but it was still, you know, I mean, it was, I, the product I ended up doing most, most of my work on was on the friends mode product. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, No, I don't think kind of like 
I guess I didn't do my job well enough. Then. <laughs> well, you're uh, only there for six months, man. Yeah, I know. I'm you really have. I'm messing. Um, no, so basically I was a product marketing specialist focused on friends mode. So I was kind of like the marketing arm of the product team that worked on that product. And I was very much connected into our CRM group um, with that in mind. And um, it was in year two of its, uh, they had created the friends mode product the year before I got in there. So it was year two of friends mode. But the problem, the real challenge for me as a marketer was that there were really no product updates because one of the real mistakes I think FanDuel made with this whole merger, and, and it was interesting because it was my first month there. You know, when I got hired, um, you know, as a product marketing specialist, I would depend on the product team to uh, pump out updates and that would be a big thing that I would market. Um, product team wasn't working. The product team was waiting until this merger was done because mm. we were going to move over to the DraftKings masthead and there was never going to be a FanDuel.com anymore after that. So I was kind of in this like wait and see mode and it was like, I was like, why'd they hire me now? If like, you know, yeah. not really, but, but whatever, like I'm getting paid and like I'm there to learn and like make connections there while I, I really wait to get my sink my teeth into something. Um, And then when the merger fell through, all mayhem broke loose and like this product team had to start like behind the eight ball to catch up for football season, which was like two months away. So uh, the product we ended up putting out was really like, Oh, not a 2.0. It was like a one, one, point oh, you know, Mm -hmm. from last year. So it was not much really to, um, to speak to from year two to year one, but there was still obviously like, different ways we can market this product. I mean, it was, a, it was an exciting idea because it was taking the FanDuel concept and allowing you to play it with just your friends. That's kind of what mm-hmm. friends mode was. You could do a league, a season long league of daily fantasy on a, um, for however long you wanted. You could do it for three weeks. You could do it for the whole season. Uh, you do it with three people. You do it with 20 people. Um, and like, so you just like play the same game you would normally on FanDuel, but just with your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there was a bunch of different ways to market that product, but uh, it proved very challenging for someone from someone like, you know, I was used to consumer products, like mm-hmm. to get into the mentality of, of marketing to, I mean, they didn't want to call them gamblers at the time. Now it's kind of like a gray mm-hmm. area because they have the sports book, but you know, I was still at the time where, you know, and then sure they still hold this distinction, but calling it a game of skill, um, you know, all that. So it was a very interesting and unique opportunity slash experience being there at that time um, that I was and seeing all that I saw. Um, it obviously didn't pan out the way I envisioned or, or wanted it to, but really valuable experience to, you know, A, just getting laid off is, is a valuable experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not one you want to go through, but um, just in terms of the way you respond to it and the way you handle it and all that. Um, there's definitely some things I probably would have done differently and would do different and did end up doing differently a year later when I found myself in those shoes again, um, which we can get to in a minute, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was all good. I mean, seven months made some, I felt like I did some decent work there and, uh, no hard feelings is, is what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was out of work for a solid like four or five months, unfortunately after that and latched on to, uh, yeah, I, I really, that was a tough time for me. I, I was like, you know, I felt like I'd been kind of chewed up and spit out of the sports industry almost. I was mm-hmm. like, I, yeah. you know, this is it. Like, did I don't you, know if I can. Did you have, did you, like, again, part. with, with all the, the jobs and most of the, the, the career, the, through the career path, this was, as you said, really the only one that was kind of blind resume, blind application. Did, 
did you how quickly did you start going back into that network of people how quickly did you think well maybe tops does need my help again like the wasn't you know like how how like how quickly did you kind of start falling into that side of it a little bit and then also how much were you like on a daily basis just reaching out to all these people that you've met along the way yeah so i i got laid off at a pretty tough time it was right before the holidays uh so i felt like i was in for it for at least a month to begin with like i wasn't I wasn't being too aggressive right around mid-December. I was going to kind of wait until after January to get, you know, after, which was stupid, I think. I, you know, like, who cares? You should have, I think I should have gotten on it immediately. Um, and I, cause People I, are really or, nice around the holidays. Yeah, right? that too. Yeah. <laughs> They're really nice around the holidays. I, 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 to I'm not going to lie. I think I went through a little, you know, feeling sorry for myself phase for a couple of weeks there. And uh, it was, you know, I also had a month of severance and then could get on unemployment after that. But you know, it was, it was wasted time in the long run that I, on my own, uh, decision-making there, but I never, I actually never went to that point where I thought I would go back to tops or anywhere else. Um, I've kind of always felt like, you know, unless circumstances are unique, it's best to just move forward, you know, continue to move forward. Um, you know, and I felt like I wouldn't succumb my expectations until I got to a certain point, but I, I actually kind of felt like I did get to that point. Um, and I ended up, I don't want to say I settled or anything, but if I'm being honest, I think the position I ended up in was not one that was top of my list. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up taking it uh, more of a means to an end, but it was, and it probably was, um, I don't want to say anything negative, but it was not, it didn't, I don't feel like my time at Models doing digital marketing added a ton mm-hmm. to my repertoire. I think it, um, it was another vertical that I'd never been in, which was retail. Um, another one that I don't want to be in. So mm-hmm. yep. another one of those types of experiences, but um, still valuable. I mean, it, it, it exposed me to doing some new different things um, and having some more responsibilities than I had before. It just wasn't really in the area I wanted to be in. Um, and I ended up spending a, almost a full year in that role before moving into a startup. I uh, felt like, you know, I had, I wouldn't say negative experience at Fandle, but it didn't pan out the way I wanted. And that was my only startup experience outside of the little group I had at Tops. And I felt like intrigued by that world. And I ended up at this small startup called uh, Fan Chest. Uh, um, it was this like small gift box company and um, for sports fans, like we would basically have this, like you'd get this like box of all these like items of, you know, your favorite licensed team product. And mm-hmm. it'd be like a mug, a coffee mug or like, and a picture like of like a famous picture of the stadium with like a minted coin, uh, a rally towel, and then like um, a water, like a tumbler. So it was like a, it's kind of like a grab bag of like what you get at a stadium. And it was meant to the, it was actually interesting. Our content strategy was to appeal to uh, female sports fans and novice sports fans um, because our, all the research they had done before I got in there was that their shoppers were mostly females shopping for men um, as gifts. Mm-hmm. So I ended up being part of this like blog. Uh, we, we started this blog called the two minute spill, uh, where we would kind of just like recap sports from the day before. So it kind of had like that same similar vibe to like what I was doing at tops yeah. in that sense, but in a more content heavy and less like salesy type of, you know, way. Um, but that job only unfortunately lasted three months because we were supposed to get an investment, uh, series a investment from a company or from like a venture capitalist group. And they, for whatever reason, pulled out at the 11th hour and uh, left us in the lurch there. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that was my uh, last um, 
my last uh, startup experience before I ended up here at SiriusXM. I was going to say, man, you show up at a startup, just shit starts, shit starts falling down. Know, <laughs> Everything just crumbles. Yeah, startup should stay away from me. Right, exactly. Yeah, they should stay away from you. I mean, yeah. still, still a cool... Um, did you create the, the two-minute spill concept? or were No, you- that was actually... So I was... I got there before, right after they thought of that idea, um, but I wasn't in, involved with like launching mm-hmm. it and actually, Okay, so it's still pretty cool. I mean, you're just kind of showing up. I mean, this stinks. You're only there for three months. You barely even yeah. got your footing underneath you, right? Like that's just, yeah. you know, but after the first month of walking around and meeting everybody, now it's just like, all right, let's start to get to work and you're fired, um, right. which is super <laughs> unfortunate. But um, again, it led you to some pretty cool places. So you are, you know, again, Octagon, MLB, Tops, FanDuel, Models, Fox Sports. Like you've been, Seems like everywhere possible. And now you're at SiriusXM uh, doing uh, sports partnership and marketing. So I just want to point out one thing. So we have, I've written these down, content marketing, product marketing, digital marketing, email marketing, e-commerce. Uh, am I missing anything? Uh, social media. You did some social media <laughs> along the way. Uh, you wrote content, created content. Obviously, again, at Tops, created an entire division of the company that was better than the company itself. I hope, <laughs> hope your bonus that year was incredible, by the way. But um, so now... Yeah. Yeah. Was, I'm not gonna lie, it was. It might have been a little factor in me leaving there too. <laughs> okay, all right, we don't have to get too deep into that one, but uh, that makes sense. So, so now you're at SiriusXM, uh, sports partnerships and marketing. I know you work with a bunch of different channels. You work with the Fantasy Sports Channel, the MLB Channel. I think you said NASCAR when we spoke on the phone. So you're working with the league channels themselves. You're working with people like me who are just wanted to be on the radio and somehow got there. Like, what um, what exactly do you do now at Sirius? Yeah, so it's a, what I like about this job is no days like the day before. Um, it's a wide range of different responsibilities, but ultimately we are looking to uh, promote our content and uh, you know help it drive listenership and subscribership of SiriusXM in general. Um, and there's a number of different ways we try to go about that. Um, one big thing we do is really just event and experiential marketing. We put on events, uh, live remote broadcasts of the talent from those channels at, you know, key tentpole events. So the biggest one I got to do was Daytona 500 a couple months ago, which feels like a couple years ago now. Yeah, but, at this um, point, right? but yeah, so we put on a live NASCAR radio broadcast right by the track, uh, the Thursday before the event, which was during their dual races, which is like the qualifier event. Um, so we had a bunch of driver guests come through, uh, in year, in the year prior, we made this like an exclusive subscriber event. Um, but due to some, you know, we didn't end up having all the subscribers come apparently. And it was like, felt a little bit empty. We opened it up to the public this year and kind of wanted to make it more of like a, uh, you know, a way to see what we have mm-hmm. for the fans and like, see if we can get new subscribers. Um, so I was involved in really all the logistics around that event. Um, all the ad creative we put out for the event, um, you know, all the CRM functionality we had, like that was kind of on me to budget out and, and uh, project manage from start to finish. Um, so that was just one thing I did um, right now, you know, with the, all the time we have on our hands, given all the event cancellations ahead with the uh, COVID 19, like uh, working on some concepts for MLB, um, you know, one in particular I had in mind is like some, doing something around the field of dreams game. Um, awesome. It happens. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there, there's so much, cool things we could do around that. And, you know, the benefit of Sirius XM is we, you know, music's obviously our number one calling card and like using that uh, as a way to kind of like cross promote with sports, I think is really unique. And there's been a few concepts I've come up with that would really work well with like all-star weekend at MLB and, 
you know, Field of Dreams as well and some other key tempo events. But I mean, beyond that, uh, it's also like, you know, there's, there's certain things that you need to maintain, like, you know, daily requests coming in from other teams and just being a support staff for those teams. But our, our group is really looking to be more proactive now. And um, one thing that I'm really trying to do is uh, look external, like what, what opportunities are there for us to like partner with brands or partner with other companies uh, that are producing content that we can maybe recapture or rebroadcast and um, stumbled upon a few. And like, I've actually been able to start some interesting conversations with our, like our venture, like our, our new ventures team. And like, um, yeah, it's like, it's, it's a great role for me just because it kind of combines a lot of the skill sets I've learned in the past. Um, you know, I'm not really in that driver's seat that I was at tops, which I'm kind of, I kind of prefer. I don't really love, uh, love to be in that position where I'm held accountable for like, you know, everything, any, yeah, everything. And like, I'm not the one pushing send on anything, but I am the one kind of like working on the way things look before it goes to the person who does that. And like, um, you know, and then sitting in on meetings with like MLB and like kind of trying to spearhead those or like, you know, even lead those, like I was able to set up a meeting with MLB right before things went crazy and glad that I did. It kind of like just sparked off from a trip I took to ML to the all-star preview in LA last uh, two months ago in January and met some of the folks there and we were able to set up a meeting with them to, to get the ball rolling on some of these ideas that I've been thinking about. Um, so yeah, it's just like, I like the fact that in this role, it's, you know, you have your responsibilities, but it's also a bit of an open canvas. Like someone I know who helped, you know, one of the people who helped me get the interview there, uh, she's in data, anal she's like a data analyst there and like totally not her job. But a couple of years ago, we weren't doing anything with influencer marketing and she just took that and ran with it. And now she's like basically running influencer marketing functionality at, at Sirius XM. So like the door is open there to like, if you see an opportunity to do something different or new, like go with it, you know? And like, those are the best, the companies I've worked at, um, the best companies I've worked at have been like that where they just kind of like, you know, they have their established processes in place, but like, you know, they empower you to, to, think innovate, you know, be innovative, mm -hmm. um, and take things and run with them as long as you're, you know, buttoned up and, you know, yeah, uh, doing all the things you're supposed to be doing. That, that is cool though, man. And, and again, I think it's, it's awesome and, and points to, and I forgot events, you worked events at top. So it makes sense yeah. again. Um, didn't put that one in there and that <laughs> list, but I think it's so cool that you've been able to take all of these different places that you've been all of these different opportunities. And, you know, as you said, there was retail, there was digital, there was, you know, um, direct to consumer. Like there were so many different things that you've done in only like 10 years um, that when this job became available and it sounds like, you know, unfortunately, yeah, we're in this like the weirdest time in human history. So that kind of sucks. Um, but other than that, it's, you know, it sounds like it's super enjoyable too. Like, as you said, you get to create these activations, you get to run with them, you get to come up with these ideas and do all these different things that you're, you're kind of just, you're very, um, What's the word I want to use? not well, you're very useful, but you're very necessary to everything that's going on because MLB doesn't know all of your capabilities. As you said, like if there's ways that you can mix the music aspect with sports, which are two things that very much go hand in hand, um, you know, throw fashion in there too. the opportunities that can come from that and what it can do for the partners that you work with again, MLB, NASCAR, um, I don't know if you work with ESPN, fantasy sports radio, all of these, I mean, you can again, create something like you had at tops where it could be, huge to this gigantic already gigantic company and they're cool yeah. with you just doing that yeah no it's 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 something you 
can't take for granted either. And it's like partly why I wanted to mention my experience at Octagon because yeah, young me took that experience for granted. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm being completely honest, I, it wasn't anything I did wrong. It's just, I didn't really like, you know, yeah. attack it the way I'm attacking this, this one now. And, um, good perspective to have and you know um yeah it's, it's a unique opportunity and one i i don't want to take lightly and i don't want to let pass me by mm-hmm. you know it's like uh you only live once sort of thing and yeah it it's a cool work one, too and then maybe i mean you're pretty good at this talking on camera stuff maybe you can we can make you on our talent one of these days too but yeah. um during, <laughs> during like as you're doing these things do you is it is it more subconscious or do you recall some of like oh okay i've did this at FanDuel. Okay, cool. I did this at tops. Now I know how to do this better, or I know how to do this in a different way. And, and like, do you recall those past experiences or is it something that is just kind of innate and it's just like subconscious, I guess, at that point? Yeah. I, uh, I guess it's like, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's most of the time subconscious, but there are occasions where like, um, maybe an idea, um, you know, some, a lot of my ideas might spark from a, a previous experience, um, and be less subconscious or like, you know, but I, I honestly think the biggest thing is like experience has bred more confidence and assuredness. Like, you know, it's, it's a combination of knowing, you know, making those mistakes in the past serve, have served me just as well as those successes have. And like, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just, it's always, I think with years of experience, you just kind of feel like you can, be more comfortable and be more of yourself. And that's not to say I haven't been nervous in this new role. I think it's been, uh, there's always that adjustment period. And I think I, you know, my boss has told me recently, oh, I like how you're kind of like loosening up a little bit more. I can see you being more of yourself. And like, I can tend to be shy in my first two or three months on a job. But I think a lot of that's just because I've learned, especially going back to that experience I had at Fox where I opened my mouth too quickly and asked about that job uh, in your first few months on a job and really, really just any new environment you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And, you know, you should be listening way more than you're talking. And like, eventually your words will carry more weight that way in the long run. You know, mm-hmm. I like to be, especially, I, I haven't really had the opportunity to be a supervisor, uh, like with direct reports. Um, but I finally feel like I'm at that point now where I'm ready for that because, um, I do feel like when you're leading someone, um, your words carry a lot of weight and you can't just go off the cuff and you can't just like, you know, you gotta be consistent with your values and your, what you're practicing with, you know, you gotta practice what you preach. And one of the reasons why I, um, you know, I didn't, I feel like I've had bosses that have not practiced what they preach and Mm -hmm. I have lost respect for them and I have maybe left jobs because of that. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's just important, I think for people to have the right experiences in their early years and to not be thrust into these supervisory roles too early. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, feel fortunate that I'm, haven't really been put in the position where I'm leading people astray like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's just very important and very, very good information for people to understand. I think that's, that's along with all the other information and the advice you've given us. I think that's, <laughs> that's nothing, something else we can add. And then I guess like with what you're doing, how, as you were saying before, you kind of go out and find some of the brands um, to help, you know, with the MLB, like how do you go about specifically like looking for, you know, does, uh, you know, just for men, you know, maybe that's, that's a really good person to do for MLB because the average age, blah, blah, blah. Like, how do you go about finding those partners, those brands, and then creating the programs around what you guys are capable of? Yeah. So I think it's, uh, it's unfortunately not been something I've been able to do from point A to point B 
be in, in, in this role yet. Um, but it's not to say I'm not close to getting to that point. Obviously, this has been a bit of a derailment right now with the uh, coronavirus and all. But um, what my attitude with that is you always have to be authentic to your own brand. And you mm-hmm. always have to make sure that the ideas you're coming up with are going to serve your own brand first and foremost. And I think when you do that, you know, you try to don't let I, I don't like to let my, you know, sponsorship. I like clout those concepts. I like to try to draw those out first and then okay, I have these on paper, like these are great, which brands will mm-hmm. connect with those ideas? It's yeah. kind of like a, a puzzle from there, at least in the way I look at it. Because um, like if you if you try to go the opposite way, you're going to come off as contrived. You're not yep. going to sacrifice too much of your own brand value. So I like to think of ideas that are, you know, uh, they're going to work even if a brand doesn't come in. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, uh, ideally, we find someone that fits perfectly um, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, maybe one will come to me later, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much my attitude that is like, um, you know, or if you do have a brand that's like knocking on your doorstep, you know, hopefully you can find one, you know, you mm-hmm. can't not necessarily, uh, switch, switch it up a little bit and go the opposite route. But as long as you're kind of, you know, looking at it through the lens of your own, you know, being your own brand advocate and not sacrificing what's important to that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all of it comes down to authenticity, right? Like if people can smell that, especially in marketing and sports and all, you can tell immediately if like, what what is this brand doing? This looks ridiculous. What is MLB doing here? This makes no sense. Um, So again, I think it's really cool how you're kind of able and capable of doing that stuff. Uh, You know, activations are always so much fun. uh, As you were saying with the NASCAR opportunity that happened, you know, what feels like 18 years ago at this point. Um, But you know, we've only not had sports for like 17 days. And I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's, it's, it's already getting nuts. As I said, I watched college football games from 2006 last night, just because that's (laughs) the board I've been. But um, Andrew, this is, this has been awesome. Anything else about series? I mean, we, we went over literally everything. This was incredible. Yeah, uh, we're coming up on an hour and a half here. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, Thankfully we did this on a Sunday, so we didn't really have much else to do, but um, awesome, man. Andrew Diamond, manager of sports partnerships and marketing at Sirius XM. As, as you've heard previous stops, Octagon, MLB, Tops, FanDuel, Models, Fox Sports. Really appreciate your time today, man. Thank you. Appreciate it, Michael. Talk soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Andrew Diamond. As I said, he had so much to teach us and we can learn so, so much. So I assume some of you will be able to listen to that one a couple times, pick out a few nuggets each time around and really get something from it. So thank you to Andrew for his time. If you could follow him on all of his socials, everything is in the show notes. Check out all the links. Make sure to please give us a five-star review on iTunes, on Spotify, on podcast addict that's when i see keep popping up wherever you are please 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 give us a review it's super super helpful more people get to listen to these time is the only thing we don't get more of so i really do appreciate you giving me some of yours and i hope you make it a wonderful day